0: Hello, thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Right. How many of you have ever watched a really, really good movie? And you were bummed out when it was over. You're like, oh, man. I want you to understand that the movie that God is playing over your life never ends. It's ongoing, and it gets better and better and better. The point is not that it ends and that it stops, but that it continues to get sweeter and that we grow more in our understanding of who God is and... um. I think if we will keep our eyes more fixed on him than each other, we'll learn a lot. Right? Now, I hope that that kind of, uh, that our lives focused on him will transform our lives where we start looking more and more like Jesus. But I want to caution you that those who have seen in Christians things that don't mark the character of God would not cripple your perspective of who God really is. Because God is perfect in every single way, he doesn't mess up. He, he, is, he is not flawed, he is not fractured, but he is, he is the representation of perfection. So let you truly, so that you can truly see who he is. This morning, we're going to uh, jump into uh, we're continuing our family Matters series, and we talked about three different areas. So far, we talked about the model which the parents and the, and, the, and the adults in the equation should be setting that mold, that pattern. And then, uh, you know, so we model it and then we mold our children. You know, how many of you know the molding process with our children? It is hard work. It requires consistent work, but hopefully if we mold them in the way that, that God has designed them to be molded, that the likelihood of success is highly likely. If you don't allow that molding process and you haven't invested time, uh, man, I'd rather be a father that tried everything I could to raise my kids right and they still be messed up than not try and then I blame myself. Because we know that the season that we have of when they're young is, is short, even though it feels like sometimes a long time. But there's that season of molding. And then we move into a season, and this is where we're going to get at this morning. We looked at, the mo- we looked at the model. We looked at the mold. And today we're going to talk about Mentoring. Now, this is a popular word, but I believe that mentoring primarily should continue to come from parents as your children get older, as they hit the adolescent age, as they move out of the home, that mentorship is continually needed in the lives of young people. How many of you adults have learned the hard way because you didn't know what to do and you hit a few potholes along the way? And if somebody would have helped you or cautioned you or warned you or mentored you, it would have saved you a lot of grief and heartache. Now, a lot of times, we want our kids going blind into the world. Now, parents, this is a hard thing to do, but this is the right thing to do. A lot of times, we don't like to expose our own failures and faults because of what our children will think of us. Amen? We want to hide those things. We want to look like we have it all together. So two things that it does that I believe is dangerous. First and foremost, it makes you look hyper-Christian like you have no flaws or failures in the eyes of your children. If you cover all of your faults, they're looking at you and they never see the flaws or the fractures. But then the other side of not exposing those weak areas or those areas that have, have almost took you out... It, 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 you, 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 uh, jeopardize the risk of your child hitting the same hole, going in the same ditch because you didn't warn or caution or advise them or mentor them in a way that helped them avoid the catastrophe. So it's kind of like playing bowling with bumpers. Guess what happens when you play bowling with bumpers? How many of you know you always hit the pin? doesn't matter how you throw it, how you roll it, if you've ever played, if you've never played. How many of you feel pretty confident you're a confident bowler if you have bumpers? <laughs> Man, I love this bowling stuff and you just It doesn't matter how you throw it. You're going to hit the pin. And that's the point of mentorship, it's to put on the bumpers, it's to put on so that our kids are hitting the mark. Just because they're grown and they move out of our homes doesn't mean that we're done in their lives. We need to continually help them because that is the time that there is the most risk in individuals' lives. They're moving out of your home. They're kind of venturing into the adult life, figuring things out. Now, I think a lot of times as children, we want to feel like we want to be independent. Uh, Young people in the room, there will always be a need for your parents in your life. It just looks different. Now, the stuff you should know, we're not going to tell you the answers to that. But the things that are life-threatening, we will always warn and caution. And um, I want you to be bold, parents, in, in giving your kids the answers and the questions and the things pertaining to life that will help them be successful. But a mentor, by definition, is an experienced or trusted advisor Okay, So teens and young adults need mentoring more than ever to be successful in life. So think about mentorship like a traffic light. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about it when you get a, a moment to engage conversation with your young people or get engaged. You know, you know, even in junior high and high school when they're asking all the questions. Do you realize if you don't give them the answers to life, you know where they're going to get the answers from? Their peers. And guess what? Their peers don't know the answers. And so they're, they're basing all their life choices on peers, explaining things. And, you know, uh, if you got a junior high, high school, and you haven't had the talk, now's the time to have the talk, moms and dads. Uh, if it's a young man, I advise the fathers to talk to the sons. If it is, is, if it is a girl, I would encourage the moms to talk to the girls. Because there's just some things that I feel like work better. Um, with the father figure and the mother figure covering both of those. Um, If you don't have a father figure, ask one of the men of God in the church to fill in the gap for that. And then man of God, please stand up and be that father figure to those who need it. All right. But we need to continually support and help and navigate our young adults um, into adolescence, into adulthood, and even the early years of marriage. Now, I know a lot of times we just say, hey, we'll get married and figure it out. Man, nobody ever explained marriage either. There's a whole lot of gaps where I'm like, man, in school I didn't learn this. My parents sure didn't talk about this. We didn't want to hear about this. And then we get married and we got to figure it all out. So there are questions and things that we need to continually communicate. But how many of you know we can live life without traffic lights? But how many of you know traffic lights work best at an intersection of likelihood uh, in, in in a critical crash point? They don't just put traffic lights in places for no reasons, but they put them in a play, an intersection in life that has a high risk to crash. And it's in those moments of intersecting life in challenges, in questions, in relationships, in money, in finance, in in anything that we need a traffic light. We need a mentor in our life. And how many of you know it is best when you see a traffic light that you obey what the traffic light is giving you? All right. What does red mean? What does yellow mean? It doesn't mean floor it, right? They're like, hurry, it's turning red. Right? That's how it. It means caution. You should be slowing down because after yellow comes, what does green mean? How many of you know sometimes green, even if it says green, you still need to proceed with caution because there's two way traffic. Just because you look at the sign doesn't mean other people are looking at the sign. And that is why it is so important to teach young people, young young married couples, that just because you're paying attention, just because it's green, how many of you know the left, right, left still matters? Look to the left, look to the right, look to the left again, and then proceed. Because just because you are following the signals and you are obeying the traffic because you are being mentored doesn't mean other people are being mentored. It amazes me when people fly by a stop sign or fly through a red light, you know, I kind of usually will catch it right on the tail end, but like I blatantly don't always just like, hey, it's red, let's go. That's never been part of my wiring. But when we look at the Proverbs and we look at these passages of Scripture, it's talking about the simple-minded, those without sense, those who don't know any better, and that's the kind of world we live in. So as I was looking at this, so our parents need to need to continually invest and challenge our teens and our young people, but there needs to be continual mentoring throughout a lifetime. You know, if you're still married or you've been married for a while, there is always something you can do to help somebody prepare for marriage. Most of the time it wasn't what you thought. How many of you got kind of bait and switched on that? You're like, oh, it's going to be great. Two years in, you're like, dear Lord Jesus. Jesus. Nobody told me this stuff was hard, right? Harder for some, depending who you married. But if, er, if both sides of that have had good upbringing and biblical principles and they've been mentored well, like, you know, we should be teaching sons how to be gentlemen and respectful and hard workers and diligent at the home, not lazy. We don't, we don't need video game men right? That are, oh, well, the grass can weigh. What do you mean the grass can weigh? Get out of the digital world and go cut the grass. Then you come back and do whatever you want. Take care of responsibility in the home, right? But also the, the, the wives. And, you know, I know we're at a different place where, you know, we have working moms and all of these different variables, but, you know, there is a balance that requires the, the family unit to work well. So we want to understand what the expectation is, what it looks like, communicate those to our young people. And, uh, you know, I told Samuel the other day, I said, son, you know, you can ask me anything you ever want to ask me like straight up. There, there's no, I mean, there is no off question. Like, Hey, wait, I don't, we don't want to talk about that. You know? And I was like, you got anything you want to ask me? He's like, well, no dad, but I want him to know when he has questions, ask me now, if I don't know, I'll phone a friend or I'll figure it out, but that needs to be a continual part of our lives. Yeah, you're 18. Time to move out. Go get your own place. Get your own job. And I think we fail our young people if we do that. Now, the other side is if they stay too long. Fly, baby. You got to learn, right? There's, there's over. You know, I mean, if I could go back live at my mom's forever, oh man, I didn't know what I had till I didn't have it anymore. Living the good life, right? But there has to be a season of growing and nurturing and maturing and all of these things, but I believe it happens through mentorship. Pastor, I thought we were talking about Proverbs 5 and 6. We are, because we are about to talk about some really hard, in-your-face things. This passage directly addresses adultery. So why are we talking about mentorship when we're about to talk about adultery? Because most adultery happens in the moments where the mentoring needs to be happening, the direction needs to be communicated. You know, young people, like young people, like junior high and less, They ain't thinking about adultery. They ain't even married. They don't even know what married is. Right? As we get into those older years, adultery starts coming into play. Purity, holiness, all, the, very, the stakes are higher in this adolescent, this, this moving into adulthood, this mentoring season. So the parents, you have, to, you have to help your children. But guess what? If you don't know the standard and you don't know what you should be doing or should not be doing, how are you going to guide your children in godly principles? What do you do if you have violated these things? How many of you know it ain't fun to tell kids things that you messed up? Um, and I think it's challenging. Uh, we, we need to be transparent with our kids because the things that we're transparent with will help, guard, will help them guard those areas in our life. I know growing up, every area that I guarded was no issue. But the areas that I didn't guard or I wasn't warned or was of no concern, those were the ones that burned me and almost killed me. You know, uh, I'm going to tell you this because I think my mom would be okay with it. Um, If she's not, she has to stick with me the rest of my life. So, Uh, My mom loves me, but in, in the reality of all of it, and I'm not doing this to shame my parents, but they got pregnant with me before they were married. Genius me never did the math of the anniversary and my birth date. And I'm talking like teenager. I start going like this. Doing the math and the math doesn't match. I said, hold on. Y'all got pregnant with me before you were married? Because like what they've told me is the right way to do it is be married first. Then be intimate, get pregnant. And that's the way it should go. For whatever reason, it never clicked. And I think a lot of it was they covered it. They didn't want to expose it. You know what? It would have saved my life in a lot of areas because the risk of what could happen. And then back in that day, when you got pregnant, you got married. That's it. There's no, there's no, there's no like, think about this. Think about the next step. Because one thing we believe, you know, you got to be careful. One mistake doesn't need to lead to a major catastrophic second mistake. Just because you got pregnant doesn't mean that you should get married, but that doesn't also mean that you should not get married. You got to hear the Lord on that, but we don't want to turn one bad mistake into a secondary bad mistake because just like babies are forever, God sees marriages forever. So in my eyes, I just kind of naively didn't know, but they didn't really want to talk about it because I think it was a vulnerable area in their life. They talked about all kinds of things, drugs, alcohol. My brother-in-law killed himself because of alcohol. So I grew up thinking alcohol is the devil. I didn't touch it. I didn't entertain it. Alcohol will kill you. That's the connection I made in my life. So guess what? Man, it ain't worth it to me. But it set boundaries. It set protection around my life. And I think all that they would have had to tell me is like, listen, this is how hard it was. This is how it affected us. This was God's standard, and we didn't honor that. And guess what? It led to the same pattern in my life. Now, I'm going to be transparent with you, okay? We didn't get pregnant with a baby, but we violated a lot of things we shouldn't have been violating prior to marriage. Now, in my own life, perhaps I would have guarded that area like every other area if I would have been warned and if I would have been cautioned. A lot of you are really stinking nervous this morning. And you're like, I got to go to lunch, right? Don't lock the door. Don't let them leave till I'm done. It doesn't matter what you've done, but what you do from here on matters. You can't fix it. You can't change it. You know, I'm at a level of repentance now, like I never was when I was young and violating God's expectation of me. It breaks my heart today. Now, I want you to know that it still matters to God. It still matters holiness and purity and being in right standing with God. A people that please God rather than violate the commandments and the instructions of what he's instructed. It still matters today. But there's nothing that you have done or will do that God is not bigger than. But you have to come to your senses with a heart of genuine repentance. I started thinking about, man, what in the world, Lord, this Proverbs? I didn't want to preach what I'm about to preach. And I'm going to have to fly through it because i am really got a long introduction. But I believe you need to hear these things. All of the book of Proverbs is talking about purity and holiness and being right before God. It's not enough to say, well, Lord, thank you for forgiving my sins. But to actually do the right thing, be honorable in the sight of God. Guard your eyes, guard your heart, protect your marriages. Instruct your children in what's godly and what's correct and what's biblical, not what's popular. You know, there's a lot of things that you can violate pre-sex that still violate God's instruction to remain pure and holy, young people. Well, I didn't have sex. You can still violate a lot of things that should never be happening between young people. That is sacred for the marriage bed. If your parents never told you that, I'm sorry. It's a good conversation this week, parents. You're like, man, I didn't want to talk about it. You're going to talk about it now. Because we want to honor God. All right, let's look at this. So when we look at Proverbs 5, 1 through 6, this is a warning against adultery. Those things that we are warned or that we're cautioned or that we avoid will not destroy us. Um, So what is adultery? Adultery is a breach of the one flesh relationship of marriage. It's described as any uh, sexual intercourse between a married woman and a man other than her husband. And and all sexual intercourse involved of a married man and another man's wife and and fiancé, according to the Baker's Encyclopedia of the Bible. So when somebody is vowed to somebody else, you are to not violate that. Well, they're not married yet. They are vowed to another person. Man, that was kind of like one of those, like, man, does God see it? Is that, it's a pretty big deal. Engage to? Hey, that's off limits, buddy. You got it? I mean, like that, That's I really think that is honoring God. That is honoring that commitment. So let's get into this text in, in chapter 5. And there's a continual urgency to pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, My son, pay attention to wisdom. Turn your ear to the words of insight, that you maintain discretion, and your lips may preserve knowledge. Um... So mentorship, it's something that is shared wisdom. It's sharing what you've learned uh, to help the next generation. How many of you want the next generation to be more successful than you? How many of of you, if you could take it back, would avoid the the, the lawless years of your life where you, I'm going to call it your gutter moments. You would take it back if you could take it back now, but you didn't know. And it's a story and, you know, we can tell stories of the scars. But we don't want our young people or the next generation getting the same scars because of a lack of knowledge. So mentors, it's up to you. Parents, it's up to you. So it's important to help the next generation avoid the pitfalls and help them be successful in their lives. Fathers and mothers, your wisdom is valuable in the success of young adults. They don't have it all figured out. Do you realize, uh, young people, that I would encourage you to even get your parents involved in picking your spouse to help you do that? Rather than say, oh, I love this guy. I love this girl. You think you know what you need in a spouse? Reality is, and most of us realize that now, we didn't know what the heck we needed in a spouse. We just kind of rolled the dice and some of us, it shook out good. Some of us shook out harder than others. And then we're like, Oh no. But sometimes I think our parents can help us even navigate that. Set your standards high and keep your eyes fixed on God. Don't lower your standards for anybody that comes by. Got that young people? Don't reduce your standards. All right, verse three. It says, from the lips of the adulterous woman. So this is the strange, the immoral, the forbidden woman. It says that she drips honey. It's it's a trap, right? It says that her speech is as smooth as oil. So it's enticing. It's entertaining. It feels, there is a draw to her. But it says, avoid it. This is a trap. This will kill you, right? You ever seen a mouse get trapped? They took the cheese, they took the bait. It looked good, but didn't realize that their life was on the line. It says, smoother than oil, she entices. and, and by her words. Now, notice here the the spoken words. Do you realize this is the same way that the that the devil enticed Eve in the garden by manipulative words, by making it look appealing, by making it look acceptable. Oh, did God really say it's not that bad? It will be okay. And then you take a bite and you lose everything. The same strategy the same manipulative words, enticing. It says, but in the end, she is bitter as gall. You're like, what in the world does that mean? Bitter as poison. Another translation uses the word wormwood and you are like, what in the world does that mean? It is a strong, bitter tasting plant. It is a symbol of suffering, of bitterness. It's not worth tasting. It's not worth worth it. And it says, sharp as a double-edged sword. And we know that a double-edged sword, it always symbolizes death. She will entice you by her manipulative words, and then she will slay you to death by the double-edged sword. Ending your life. Verse 5, her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life, for her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. The blind will lead the blind. Those who are deceived will continue to deceive now, you guys understand this ain't just a woman issue. Let me, let me pause right there because all you men are like, ah, these women are crazy. No. <laughs> it's both ways. This, this spirit of immorality and, and, and enticing can come from the male side or the female side. It doesn't matter. It's the spirit behind it coming and, you know, looking, appealing, saying the right things, enticing, but yet leads to the grave. Okay? But the blind will lead the blind. They don't even know what they're doing. But that road leads to death. It leads to your own destruction. Proverbs 5, 7 through 14. The warning is to stay away. Verse 7, it says, Now, my son, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Listen, listen, listen to me, son and daughter. Continues to reiterate Verse 8, keep the path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to the one who is cruel. Now that word honor is splendor and majesty. You will lose that honor. What about dignity? Dignity is actually defined in scripture. You will lose time and you will lose years to the one who is cruel. The older I get, the more valuable I realize time is. But you will lose years of your life traveling this path. Verse 10, Lest strangers feast on your, feast on your wealth and your toil, enrich the house of another. Um, they will feed on you, they will drain you of your personal resources. They will, they will, they will take your hard-earned money. That's what this is implying here. Verse 11, at the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and your body are spent, you will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ears to their instructors. And I was soon in trouble in the assembly of God's people. What is this encouraging? Come to your senses before it's too late. It is better to avoid this path altogether It led to the place of destruction, but sometimes we don't realize that. We're going to look at it in just a little bit, but, you know, we we feel like we can play with fire and not get burned. That is not the case. Right? You You make stupid choices, you get stupid prizes. Got that? Make stupid choices, you win stupid prizes. You're not going to make stupid choices and end up with something good at the end of it. I'm going to straight up call it stupid because that's what I was. Uh, but That's you. Put the hat on, own it, and we'll move on, okay? All right, Proverbs 5, 15 through 20. So then it shifts gears a little bit here. This is is the focus of enjoying marriage. Marriage should be an enjoyable, sacred thing that that was part of God's plan that, that he honored and he blessed. Verse 15 says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Verse 17, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with a stranger. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. This means to continually have joy in the wife of your youth. If you, if you married your wife real young, men, that's time to look over at her and wink at her wife of your youth that you continue to find satisfaction to have joy in Uh, now understand this is for married couples only don't say oh pastor no he said look over at you and we know if you are married in the house (laughs) for your fountains to be blessed for you to enjoy marriage this is a marriage thing this isn't just a relational thing this isn't just an interest thing this is a marriage thing if you're not married it's a no go it's a no fly zone it will lead to death and destruction if you're married God has blessed it Right? What does married mean? Okay, let me do that because we're in a crazy world right now. Uh, it, it's, it's that if you're married, he and she are married under the constitution of marriage, state law, all of those things, it's good. Right? If you're not married, you got it? I mean, it's, I mean there's no like, or we're going to get married, doesn't count. All right? Anything that is violating the instruction or commands of God, it is sinful in the eyes of God. Verse 19. It continues to communicate, a loving doe, uh, a, a graceful deer. Sorry, fathers, you might have to deal with some of this. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why my son be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? So what is this talking about? May she satisfy you always. So this satisfaction is like the satisfaction that comes from eating a pleasant meal. Have you ever had a really good meal? you like, that was man, that's the kind of satisfaction that God wants in, in the constitution of marriage, that you are satisfied. Um, you know, uh, always, so this is implying there are no substitutes. You stay on your plate, on your dinner menu, you don't eat off of somebody else's plate. I'm trying to talk as careful as I can in the room this morning. So I'm going to stir up all kinds of, well, yeah, I got a whole bunch of questions, Dad. Uh, you eat what God has put on your plate. Anything else is a violation to God. That's where you stay. But guess what? Even in that, man, he has dessert, multiple courses. It can be sweet. It can be enjoyable because this is God's model. God has blessed marriage. Some of us have forgotten, maybe just time or we've been married for a while. Come back to the joy of, the, of marrying the man or woman of your youth. And be thankful for those that God has placed in your life as a blessing. It says, be intoxicated. So intoxicated, it means continually be captivated. Continue to learn. And, and, you know, go back to dating your, your wife or dating your husband again. You know, the older we get, the more we change. Sometimes we're harder to live with than we were originally. And keep being captivated. Keep learning. Keep growing. But then it says, you know, don't violate what God has set up. The forbidden woman or the adulteress. First Corinthians, I'm going to segue just for a minute. First Corinthians 6, 17 through 20. It actually gives us guidance here to run away from sexual immorality. Verse 17 says, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. It says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Flee means to run away. Young people, if you ever get in a compromising relationship thing, uh, head for the heels. Now, there's a lot of safe ways, and I can talk to you later. If You're like, hey, how do I remain pure? How do I safeguard myself in relationship, in dating, in courtship? you got to keep yourself safe. Like I said, you may be obeying the traffic laws, but if the other person is not obeying the traffic laws, you're going to get in a bind really, really quick. You want to keep yourself safe. So ask your parents, hey, how do I do this safely? What am I not seeing, dad? It it is not the cool thing. It's not the popular thing, but it is the important thing. Because guess what? A father of daughters will be thinking differently than the young man taking the daughters. But at the same time with sons, hey, this is what you're to do and here's what you're not to do. Here's how you honor, here's how you respect. But help help your help your young people do that. But it says to run away from it means to flee. Now we have to understand those who are united in the spirit with the Lord, with the Lord, you know, sexual sin should be unthinkable. Because really we're we're in oneness with God. And when we violate those things, we are violating our relationship with the Lord when something is done in an ungodly model. Okay? So that 1 Corinthians 6, 17 through 20. Just jot that down if you want to read over that. Let the Lord just reveal that to you a little bit more. Proverbs 5, 21 through 23. uh, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Verse 21 says, for your ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all your paths. Uh, Man, this startled me as a young person. You mean God can see everything. I thought they couldn't see it. I thought they weren't aware of it. Your eye, his eyes are every, he sees everything. He watches over and it says that he actually considers all of our ways. Verse 22, the evil deeds of the wicked uh, ensnare them and the cords of their sin. Hold them fast. Verse 23, for the lack of, of discipline, they will die. They will be led astray by their own great folly. Um, No discipline will result in death, you know, traveling the wrong path because of not knowledge. Uh, We do not want that to be, be the case. Um, Understanding that everything we do, how many of you act right when people can see what you're doing? Right, we don't act a fool unless nobody's around. Let me tell you a revelation that will really, really help you. Whatever your eyes see, God's eyes see. Mm -hmm. Whatever your ears hear, Father God's ears hear. That if the Spirit of God lives inside of me, I should be offended by those things that offend Him. And I should not violate those things that violate him. Okay. Something that's a revelation. Like if you will really realize that, that the spirit of God is inside of you. His eyes are always watching. Maybe it'll change how you, how you respond or how you act when you feel like nobody's watching. All right. Um, I just want to challenge you and make and help you realize that, um, culture will say that purity is not a big deal. They just will. It just, there's no standard. There's no expectation. There, there, there's so many modifications. Uh, the whole, hey, uh, you, how do you even know that, that you'll like the car if you don't drive it first? You know, if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. If you know what it means, that's fine. But this is the mentality that the culture has. Like, How do you know that you can be married to that person the rest of your life? Hear the voice of the Lord. Don't base it on physical attraction or what you think is, is, is appealing or what you think is right. You don't jeopardize all of these things to try it out first, right? But but culture does not make a big deal out of these things. We have to adjust our thinking to make a big deal out of the things that God thinks is a big deal. And quit making it just like, it doesn't matter. If you're saying everybody's doing it in the church, you you need to realign some thinking. Well, everybody's doing it. So why does it matter? Because God said differently. Uh, we're going to shift gears in this chapter six, but I want you to keep thinking because we come back to the adultery side. We're going to take time really quick at the end to just ask God for forgiveness, that he would heal those areas of our life that we've jeopardized and, and, th- and that we've just thought wrongly or we've just violated his commandments because I believe that when we do that, our lives will be changed and we can walk in what God wants us to walk in. Okay. If you if you like know that if you know that's you you straight up know that's you, but we're going to come back and we're going to look at that in just a minute. Let's get to Proverbs six real quick. So it shifts gears here in six one through five, and it talks about financial entanglements. Verse six or chapter six, verse one. It says, "My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands in pledge uh, for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go." Uh, to the point of exhaustion, and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. So what this is talking about here, don't don't trap yourself in assuming another person's financial obligations. So now this is not like co-signing for your kids. This is like co-signing for your neighbor in the new boat they just bought. And they just defaulted on it, and now you're like, uh, 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 "What do I do now?" Well, your name's on it, so you're obligated, and you're out of control of your financial position, right? Our own financial obligations we can control, but you have entrusted that into somebody else. So take control of uh, of your own God given resources. Get them out of a uh, out of the hand of your neighbor, um, so that you can really maintain and steward your God given finances. Okay? You got me? It's just pre- pretty simple. If you've done that, I mean, man, I don't know how you did that. I probably would never do that. Even in my right mind, you'd have to be a real, real good friend. But then I'd be like, man, I don't know. You borrow money from me, and you didn't do so well with your money. Why would I want to give you my money? That's how I'm thinking. Um, but it says, do this immediately. Do this quickly. Free yourself from that. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Spirit of laziness. We got any lazy people in the room? No. Oh, man, this is straight up. He said, I guess me. All right. he took the bait. Okay. Verse six, it says, go to the ant. You sluggard. You sluggard. All right. Um, Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler yet. It stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at the harvest. How long will you lie there? You sluggard. Uh, uh, When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. So laziness has no place among God's people. It says learn from the ant. They are always working diligently. How many of you have ever intentionally kicked over a fire ant mound and is back the next day? It's like, man, these dudes working hard. Like I can't get rid of them. They're trying to put poison on them. They just keep moving their mound. I need to find some new poison because it ain't working. But they work hard. They're diligent. Nobody's sitting there, you know, commanding and instructing. They work hard. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, it says, The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. That'll get you motivated because I'm a hungry person. Right? I like to eat. You don't work, you don't eat. No paycheck, no food. You got, I mean, like, well, I'm hungry. When's the last time you worked? Well thought food was free. Come on. All right. Got that? Don't be lazy. It's a quick little reprimand in there. Proverbs 6, 12 through uh, through 15 talks about the malicious man. Verse 12, it says a troublemaker and a villain. So this is a, uh, a worthless person or a wicked man who goes about with a corrupt mouth. We know corrupt mouth is corruption. Uh, perverse speech, uh, is how it communicates it. In verse 13, and I'll explain what this is in just a minute, who walks maliciously with his eye, signaling with his feet and motions with his fingers. I was looking at this, like, what in the world is that trying to communicate? So apparently, in these times, it was common that the deceiver spoke lies to their victims, and there was other people involved in the schemes that they were doing, and they would make signals with their eyes and their hands and their feet to the other person to help them as a team carry out this uh, deceptive plan. So I'd be talking to Robert and I'd be winking over here at Mark and whatever is happening is evil and it is cruel and it is unacceptable. It is the characteristics of a troublemaker, a villain, a worthless, wicked person and this ought not be. But it says that in in verse 14, who plots evil and deceit in their heart, who always stirs up conflict. Verse 15, therefore disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. And without remedy can be defined and understood as beyond recovery, beyond healing, Um, stirring up conflict. they're, They're stirring up discord, strife, and trouble. All right? Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, what the Lord hates How many of you know when God gives you a list of things that he hates, it's important to pay attention to those things that he hates. If he says, I hate these things, pay attention to what he says after that. If he says, I love these things, pay attention to what he says after those things. So verse 16 through 19, it says, Therefore, there are six things that the Lord hates, but seven that are detestable to him. They are an abomination to him. Verse 17, it says haughty eyes, so that's a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that d- devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict. So look at this, look at this list real quick for me. These are the things that, that, that he hates. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hand that shed innocent blood, heart that makes wicked plans, feet that rush into evil, a false witness, and stirring conflict up in the community. Now, you know, that word community, I look at this and it's like, is that like Bay City? Is that Matagorda County? It says among the, among the brothers, among the family of believers when he was talking about the community. Right, We can't always control what's happening out there, but we sure can control What he hates is when there is division and stirring up conflict within the body of believers, the community of the family of God. He says, this ought not be. And I'll tell you what, personally, I've seen that. When people stir up conflict, if you've been through our new membership class, I unapologetically, I hate gossip. I will not tolerate it. We still, we're still good on that agreement. If you're a member in this church... Right? We just don't tolerate it. It will destroy and cause all kinds of problems. But this is the list of things that he hates. Hands that shed innocent blood. This is just my take on it. That sure sounds like abortion to me. He's going to pass that to you say, well, that's not what he's talking about. The shedding of innocent blood. Whatever that looks like, that probably counts. So you can chew on that. You can meditate on that. You can ask the Spirit of God to say, well, what did you mean by shedding of innocent blood? Anyone that has been innocent and their blood has been shed. Don't need a, a doctorate for that, okay? Got that? All right, let's wrap up this chapter, Proverbs 6, 20 through 35, so we get back into this warning against adultery. So a warning is a statement or an event that indicates a possible or impending danger. It is a problem or an unpleasant situation. Back to this sign. This, this is the warning, the caution. Pay attention, slow down, get out of the way, you know, what, all of those things. Verse 20, it says, "'My son, keep my father's command.'" And do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them around your heart, fasten them around your neck. Don't miss this, son and daughter. Don't miss this is what it's talking about. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you are awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp and this teaching is a light. And and correction and instruction are a way of life. We got to get to the place where we're okay for a lifetime. People helping us or telling us what to do. How many of you know when you got grown, you said, I don't want nobody telling me what to do no more. Idiot. We've got to keep learning. We never arrive. The moment we think we arrive or we think we know better is the moment we fall in the pit of destruction before us. We have to continually learn. We have to continue to say, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me guidance. Remember, we talked about last week that he disciplines those he loves, that, that that rod of correction, that that discipline, that correction and instruction, those are just a way of life. Okay, verse 24, it says, keep from your neighbor's wife, from the, from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. Uh, so we, we kind of go all the way back. And we get back talking about the same thing. Don't be, enter, enter, don't be entertained. Don't be enticed. Now, let me give you the best advice here. Guard your eyes. You can't lust or be taken captive by something that you don't look in the direction of. Right. Turn. <laughs> no, <just laughs> look the other way. That's, that's, one, that's one of the fail-safe uh, ways to, to, you know, don't lay anything before your eyes. Avoid. Don't, don't pay attention to. Um, you know, I'm not going to get captivated by no eyelashes if I'm not looking at any eyelashes, okay? Uh, just instructing right there. Just, you know, don't, don't, don't pay attention. Don't let her captivate you. Don't lust after her with your own heart. And like I said, that can work for guys and girls. It, that goes both ways. 26, for a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife um, um, prays on your very own life. That word praise, I mean, she goes after, hunts down your very own life, your precious, precious life. Verse 27, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? Um, The answer of that is absolutely not, right? They are dangerous and destructive consequences of adultery, and you will get burned. It will begin to affect areas of your life that you didn't realize that it was affecting. You can't go and do that and expect no consequences, Right? Verse 29 So it is he who sleeps with another man's wife. Uh, No one who touches her will go unpunished. Punishment is a natural and expected consequence. Um, and, And let me just give you this little nugget here. There is no justifiable explanation to violate what Scripture has instructed us to do. Well, you don't understand. You know, they've been separated. Ooh, better be careful. Hot coals, fire on your lap. When there's still a covenant in place, I don't violate. I don't, even, I don't even know how you begin to entertain that. It's dangerous. You're just flicking matches. You might burn the whole house down. You need to avoid it. You need to be careful. All right, verse 30. Please note, please, uh, people, I'm sorry. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Yet, if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it may cost him all the wealth of his house. Um, there may be pity for a thief, but the adulterer here, there is no restitution um, as he destroys his own soul in this decision and in his, his plan. Verse 23, but a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever, whoever does so destroys himself. Verse 33, blows and disgrace are his lot and his shame will never be wiped out. Verse 34, for, a je- for jealousy arouses a husband's fury. And he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not accept any compensation and he will refuse a bribe, however great it is. Now, I think this is bigger than just the physical husband because this is an abomination to God. Because God will get his justice, right? How many of you know in obedience is full of blessing, but violation of God's word curses and consequences how many of you uh, would be honest and say I have violated some of God's commands and it has cost me dearly it really has and we wish we would have known the cost maybe we would have wished we would have known the price but nonetheless we're here today can you stand up with me we're going to wrap up what do we do at the end of a message like this All we can do is approach God's throne of grace with humble, submitted, repentive hearts. We don't like to talk about these things because sometimes these are the people we used to be. Now notice the whole point is that that is who we used to be. I thought about sharing that whole passage: drunkards and sluggers and all of those, you know, those who commit sexual sin. These are the things that you used to be, but you are those things no more. There has to be a separating of that old lifestyle, stepping into this new lifestyle. You can't change the past. I didn't know what I didn't know till I knew what I didn't know. And let me tell you what: I threw that bowling ball; I was all walloped in the gutter. God kind of knocked me out of that gutter and put me back on the straight path. But there were gutter moments in my life. And I would challenge you this morning, if there has been gutter moments in your life, all you have to do is say, Lord, I have come to a place of where I am willing to realize the areas that I have violated you and that I did not honor you. And you know what the cool thing is when you do that today? It's not because you got caught. It's because you're choosing to. And man, that honors God so much more. You ever got caught doing something, oh, please forgive me, got caught red-handed? It's, you know, it's a natural response. But today, this is a place of no judgment. But this is a place of vulnerability. This is a place of openness. This is a place of transparency where God wants to heal all of those things and restore all of those things that you messed up. So how do we do this? First, we recognize the areas. Lord, these are the things that I messed up. Then we repent. What is that doing? That's just saying, I'm sorry, Lord. I didn't know. Now I think deep down, sometimes we really know, but we don't know how to stop that Snowball. I mean, I know a snowball rolling down a hill gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then finally hits something and makes a big mess, which God God can clean that up. But then there needs to be a returning to God, a forsaking of the old ways. You know, I believe that God is going to move in the church when the people really get to a place of repentance. That doesn't mean be perfect. That means just own up. What you're going through or where you're messing up, let the blood of Jesus cover and saturate all of that, but then turn away from that and go and sin no more. And you can't do this though by your own grace. Can't do this just by being good enough or trying hard enough. This is only going to be by the grace of God and His forgiveness working in you. Uh-oh. I want you to know this morning that God is not a mean God. With a lot of rules and a lot of expectations and all these things, he he put these things in place because he knew that the cost of what sin would cost us in our lives. Because he loved us, he didn't want us to have to deal with those things. He didn't want to have. To, he didn't want to have tons of marriages with with split kids and step kids and step parents. I've seen the wake of the complexity of that. Well, I got pregnant with a baby and I, and I wasn't ready. I'm gonna get ready <laughs> but sometimes those things turn into a blessing but they weren't God's best they weren't in God's timing they were violations of what God expected but you have to realize that's who we were but that's not necessarily who we can be today so it's really up to you. Like I mean, you, like you can be like, man, I ain't, still ain't telling nobody about that, pastor. Or you can just say, Lord, I'm not asking you to tell me, but I'm asking you to release those things to God. If you've never really, really repented of those things, you say, Lord, oh, I'm so sorry, and allow that godly repentance and that godly sorrow to come out of your heart that you violated your first love, but loved you and gave His life for you, and is willing to blot out those sins. And he says, I take those sins and I choose to remember them no more. That's the kind of God we serve. But there just has to be a yielding. Say, Lord, here's the areas I screwed up. That's the safest, worst word I can use probably on a Sunday, that I screwed it up. And here's all I got. But I know what you're calling me to is something way better. So I want to open up the altar. I know it's late. If they show up, they can just jump into the church service. It is what it is. But this morning, if you just want to, and I'll get Jessica just to play. I, I don't want any leaders, no prayer teams. I just want between you and the Lord, lay your heart bare. Now, I want you to go through this process because we need to recognize, we need to repent, we need to return to the Lord, and then we need to get to that place of rejoicing, of realizing that we are no longer held by who we once were. But we've been called by a new name, full of love, full and gray, full of grace, to become and be all that God has called us to be. So I'm going to pray over you. And as I pray, go ahead and come quickly. And, and, and just and just stay as long as you want. And just I want you just to take time to just repent, get your relationship with the Lord right. And I'm believing that there's going to be a powerful work in your life, that God is just going to work it out. Because he's the only one that can change us. All right, I'm going to start praying. Move quickly, okay? Lord, I thank you for your goodness in this place. And Father, we do pray for a heart of recognizing our failures and our sin, and the things that we've done, God, that didn't please you. And Father, we come to that place of repentance, and God, we say sorry for violating. Father, sometimes we knew, and sometimes we didn't, but nonetheless, they were a violation of what you expected, of what you wanted, and Father, I pray that you would break our hearts for what break yours. And Father, I thank you that you just don't leave us stained and blemished, but God, you begin to cover us from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. So God, I ask that you would release that forgiveness. Father, as your sons and your daughters return to your heart. And Father, I thank you, God, that your work is a restorative work that changes us, that molds us. And Father, then we get to that place of rejoicing, of who we once were, we are no more. Father, that you take our ashes and the destructive things of our life and you create beauty within them. So, Lord, we just ask that your washing spirit would just hover over us. That we can avoid, that we can flee from, and we can be the people of God that you've called us to be. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. Now, Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name.